Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How are you now? You're listening to The BIP Show. BIP is for business, investing and policy. That's what we are here to talk about. I am not Paul Colgan. I'm James Whelan. Investment Manager at VFS Group, and I am joined by Paul Colgan, Director at CT Group. How are you now, Paul? Hello. And joining us from Amsterdam is the irrepressible Ken Vexler, Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer at Acumen Management. How are you, Ken? Good afternoon, good evening, uh, good morning, whatever time of day it is. I'm, I'm at the end of my tether, assuming I'm still tethered. But anyway, let's get on. Good enough. We're recording this on Thursday, March the 18th, 2021. Uh, it is... Wow, it is, yeah, it's getting close to seven o'clock at night. And that's sort of where I'm going. Now, uh, don't forget, obviously, don't forget to hit subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcast. Do it now. Pause. Do it now. That's fine. Now, this podcast is brought to you by Nescafe Blend 43, which is what's been keeping me sane and awake for the last few days. I am actually studying for a fairly substantial exam, uh, so managed to come in and do this. I haven't been as on top of markets day to day as I should be, but... Is, is that the one that Bill Potter defecated the bed over? The entirety of Bill Potter? It is actually. Failure rate of 100%. Uh, Reported. Uh, it warms my, warms my arctically cold heart. Yeah, I, I do not fail exams, and so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm hammer and tongs getting this one done. What I did notice is that coming in uh, is that it's raining, Paul, and it's 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 raining now. I've I've let me let me do my little opening monologue, if I may, because I'm hosting the show. Don't look at me like that, Paul. I'll do what I like. Um, I've trekked. I've done the six foot track. Uh, I, I used to, you know, I was. I, I've, I've trekked over certain places. I've done the six foot track. I've trekked around New South Wales. I've trekked the Annapurna trek over in Nepal. I know a thing or two about shoes. I know a thing or two about footwear. I know a thing or two about when they run to the end of their tether and when they're done. That happened with my shoes. So shoes don't shoes don't just collapse when like you, if you get if you got crap shoes, then they'll just they'll just fall apart. They'll they'll get wet. Your socks will get wet. You're done. But if you've got good shoes, it, it, it's like filling a tank where your shoes will eventually just one day just go, that's it, we're now going to let water into the shoe. Mm-hmm. That happens. So is this the, the BIPs show, business investing policy and shoes? And shoes, yeah. No, this is, this, this is, this is how to cobble your shoes. Where is this going for the love of Christ? Would you let me finish? <laughs> All right? No, okay. fuck, I'm hoping you will soon. I'm doing a thing. It's a monologue. That's the idea of a monologue. No, 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 Mr. Letterman, on your way. Monologue, that's one of those things that goes round and round in the city. We used to have one in Sydney. The monologue The monologue is also something that happens that you're supposed to do it on yourself. But anyway, so That's monotony. Right, yeah. Okay, sorry. On this one, the 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 loudest booze are always from the cheap suits, Amsterdam. So anyway, (sighs) the the uh, okay. So that happened. My shoes, shoes, James. Shoes. That's it. You're done. Five thirty-six this uh, this evening. Coming into the city, it is raining. It is wet. And going back over, it would have been mid to lateish quarter last year when we were doing this show. And I was like, Paul, man, like I want to talk about, I want to talk about food. I want to talk about weather. I want to talk about all of these things that are changing, and, and you know how to how to make you know people how to how to make my, my clients are making money from my food, you know my food investments. It's all good. And you're like, 
and, and I was talking about the weather changing and climate patterns and everything that was going on. You're like, no, our people aren't really interested in that. They don't like that sort of story. We prefer our, our, our listeners to stay poor. I may have chucked that last one in, but anyway. So it was, it, was, it, was last, it was last year. Let me go. It was last year when I said that, that La Nina had kicked in. And and it was kicking in, which means that we were going to get we were going to get pretty wet and pretty saturated. And but it also means that the US is is headed for a drought. It's been a big part, big fundamental part of my investment in in food and industry and everything that you look around is green. We're currently underwater, and sort of anecdotally, one of those things of of just going into the into the pub for lunch today. There's builders everywhere, and we're supposed to be in the we're supposed to be. This is the boom. We're supposed to be. Booming, jobs are going, building is happening, construction is happening. That's what's employment, the, the backbone of everything. In America before the GFC, 50% of, of employment, 50% of all jobs were related somehow to the housing industry. And, and in Australia, we're in that similar sort of a vein here. I'm saying now that as, as booming and as amazing as it could be, it is a potential that this weather pattern, the, the builders that I talked to were saying that whilst they had a lot of outdoor work that could happen, they've only got so much indoor work that can take place if the rain does keep on going. So, so it's potential that, and we'll go over some of the other ones, the potential that this weather pattern through on the eastern seaboard could be the sort of thing that stalls the reopening trade. So we saw the jobs numbers out of out of uh, here locally today. I mean, it was way above, what, 88,000 jobs added or something like that. That was all full-time. 30,000 were expected. We've got a 5.8% unemployment rate, something in that sort of area. It's as good as it needs to be. But now is the time to be looking at all the things that could potentially stall it. Semiconductors potentially stalls that. Building supplies is absolutely stalling it. People can't find lumber locally. They can't find lumber. Uh, Labor is absolutely a thing that is stalling it. And Ken, throwing to you, the, the vaccine rollout is like potentially one of the biggest, one of the biggest stalling risks that there is. Europe, what, what the hell's going on over there, man? Right, before we crack on to the cluster, pardon my French, that it is here, uh, lumber. Uh, that's not because there's not enough of it. It's because logistics aren't getting it to you or to the builders where it needs to go. That's my two cents on that. Uh, and let's call it timber because, I don't know, we're not sepos. Um, beyond that, on the recovery in Australia, I, I, I've been thinking about this, and I think, Colga, you've been as bullish as they get since about Q4 of last year. James, you've egged him on. I blame the two of you. Uh, but I think I think we need to not lose sight of the fact that, yeah, um, Australia's bounced back, but maybe only as far as we were or they were, you were, pre-COVID. Sustaining that bounce and continuing that trajectory, I think, is a misnomer. Um, I think for that to legitimately happen and for Australia to maintain the growth, you need the rest of the world to open up, which takes me back to your original question, and I'll get there in a minute. The rest of the world may or may not open up over the course of the next, say, 18, 24 months and to varying degrees. But I think Australia, for one, will not be opening up to the rest of the world for a minimum of 12 months. I think borders um, in Oz are going to stay shut, firmly shut, not within Australia. I don't really care what happens within state to state. But uh, as far as external travel incoming and outgoing, I think you're going to stay shut for quite some time. Um, and that is really going to put a dampener on any prolonged, sustained further growth, considering where Australia's general GDP expansion and growth tends to come from historically and, and whatever else it may be, it international students, be it exports of... 
uh, raw materials, primary goods, etc., etc. So, yeah, it's it's not that I'm bearish or pessimistic in Australia. I'm just not as big a cheerleader uh, for a sustainable path uh, as you guys might be. That's my two cents. Yeah. Um, so yes, I have been super bullish. Uh, we saw the employment data today, 88,000 jobs added in February alone. It's almost- Space effects. No, Sorry, go no, Yeah, I know, but, 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 but not, you know, not, not non-farm payrolls sort of territory here. Like it's like American jobs data. Um, it's full-time stuff too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's all um, uh, 75,000, yeah, 75,000 um, uh, jobs uh, for um, females. Uh, it's just like huge, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, huge, huge. And um, so, look, I have been really, really bullish on this. Um, but like you can, I'm starting to worry about a couple of things now. There are a couple of unknown things. One is obviously JobKeeper, which is the uh, government support package to businesses so that, you know, if you've had a drop in earnings, um, I think uh, of revenue of more than 30%, then you can access this 1500 bucks a fortnight. Uh, and actually, um, it's somebody pointed out uh, during the week that you know uh, America's been losing its mind over them sending fourteen hundred dollar checks out to people <laughs> in in, in America and in Australia. Every week. Australian workers are getting it every fortnight, right? Um, but that's going to come off now. I am extremely concerned about a couple of things. One is uh, what is going to happen to our cities. So if you look at, uh, for Sydney, the Opal data, so for, for those people who are not, not in Sydney, uh, which is about 70% of our listeners, about 30% of them are in, uh, are in the fine city of Sydney. But hi, everyone. Hi, everybody who's not we in- We use an Opal card here in Sydney. It's yeah. not a Mikey or a whatever they have in Brisbane. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the Opal, court, uh, Opal card. And if you look at that data, uh, in February, when everything was supposed to be open, uh, it's still only 50% of where it was in 2018-19. Now, if you had said in 2018-19, right, tomorrow uh, 30% of the uh, activity in the CBD is, of of the consumer activity in the CBD is going to shut down, people would have run around with their hair on fire. We would have been talking about a giant recession, da-da-da-da. We are now about to have a reckoning with that question of what happens to businesses, and there are 6,000, 6,200, 6,300 businesses in the Sydney CBD that are on JobKeeper. Yep, that's a good stat. That is a lot of businesses. Even if you uh, suggest... Account for fraud? Even if you account for fraud... Yeah, I'll, I'll correct that. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. Because there are plenty of people milking the system here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. sure. There'll be people milking the system. But there's also, like, if you walk around some of the retail stores in this area, which is the north end of the CBD, uh, and uh, it's where a lot of the financial services are. If you walk around this area, um, you will see stores with nobody in them, retail stores with nobody in them. Right? And uh, as somebody observed to me recently in Chifley Tower, there's a store there, and he has been going for coffee outside that uh, store. It's like a dress shop or something. And he's been going for a coffee outside that store for since he got back to the office, since the building reopened. Yep. And he says he has never seen a customer in there, right? So not once. That's not necessarily bearish for me, but okay, go on. <laughs> yeah. um, so, um, so, so what's going to happen when because p- people don't shop online, right? What's going to happen? If pe- sorry, sorry, people don't what? shop. In, <laughs> people don't shop in stores now. No, 
right? Um, so there's that. Then there's all the sandwich shops, all the ancillary services. That's I'll give, give you another example. All the, all the stuff that are – the businesses that are in the orbit of large companies having people in offices, right? Yeah. Like in cubicle farms, right? Um, so uh, another example is I, I took the tram up George Street, right? Empty tram. Oh, we have a tram now. That's what I was thinking. Uh, just, just, hear, what tram? just hearing that fucking Sydney's got a tram. Yeah, we've got a tram. It's wonderful. <laughs> and I know I'm at light rail. That ain't took 25 years. Yeah, just in time. Really, how, many, really how many yards to build? Yeah, it's right. yeah they had to build no. it twice. It was wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's really good. It's really good. And so I took the thing and I was um, on the street going up George Street and looking around and going, hey, there's people around, you know, there's, maybe this isn't so bad. And then I got to the building where I was, uh, where I had the meeting I was going to. And there was a food court in the bottom of it. And just walking in that door made me all bearish again. This food court, it's like empty, right, at quarter to two. Uh, and there's like six or seven businesses in it. It's KFC across the road. Maybe it's just a product competition. It could just be, it could just be the other KFC side of KFC is these. very good. Yeah, it's um, not that good. But, but, but yeah, so um, – so and some people don't like chicken. Can okay, so, so, the so big, yeah, so the, the, I still think there's a there is a reckoning coming coming yeah. now with what, all what the businesses that 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 used to be supported by the way we lived previously, um, and uh, the way people think we're going to be living now for a while. What, what you what you've just described, Colgo, um, illustrates uh, the transitory nature of the inflation argument. It illustrates the rubber band bouncing ball principle of recoveries from pandemics that we're currently experiencing in that the first bounce is always the highest and every subsequent bounce is uh, lower and lower. So uh, I think, yeah, I, I think we've, well, I think we've seen the peak-ish uh, of the, I mean, you know, it, it well, I, I've, I've explained it. I'm not going to draw any pictures. James, to your question about uh about vaccines here and and the like um they have fornicated the donkey to put it politely um they have biblically known it and continue to know it and what they've discovered is that you cannot put feces back in a previously fornicated donkey um it's it's bad it's it really honestly all 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 nonsense aside it, it is quite bad in europe um and there's not a whole lot to make me think it's going to get better anytime soon. Now, whether it's a logistical problem in terms of um, distribution, whether it's a problem of securing the actual uh, vaccine in the first place, or whether it's a problem of producing that vaccine, or perhaps a combination of all three, I don't know because you'll never get to the to the heart of the matter. I don't think. Um, but the net, but the net effect is, and I don't say this lightly. I have a genuine fear that we're on the cusp of, at least in Europe, a, a, a significant, substantial third wave of the uh, of the of the virus. I mean, basically, using the Netherlands as as an example, because I live here and I sort of know it a bit better than I would say Germany or whatever the data was. Right at at the peak of the second wave, and I think it's fairly. It's fair to call it second wave. At the peak of it, which would have been early December last year, there were 85,000 new infections a week in the Netherlands for a population of just around 20 million, right? Um, that peaked. We went into lockdown around then again. 
and have been in lockdown for three months, literally three months since then. So the numbers increasingly uh, diminished. They got a bit better, a bit better week by week, and they plateaued at around 30,000 infections a week, right? Uh, and stayed at 30,000 infections a week for the last six or so weeks, right? So that, that's not exactly what I'd call fantastic, right? Week on week, as of Tuesday, that number increased by 25%. So what was 30%, uh, 30,000 a week, very quickly in the space of one week became 40,000. Similar, similar numbers or similar week on week expansions are being seen across Germany, France, Italy. Uh, it's not good. Um, and they're not, they're not vaccinating people in any real hurry at all here. Um, so it's shit. <laughs> it, is, it is true that it's the biggest, uh, I, I think that it's potentially the biggest risk to the reopening trade is is n- not potentially the stalling of it because things will still go on and people will still build and people will still spend in the shop or, or not in the shop. But I think that actually if if the big thing that everyone was hoping on, on, on hanging their hat on, which was the vaccination, is actually being stalled and it's not done before the next the, the next big mutation that comes out of Brazil, and that's a pretty big one, is, is sorted, then, yeah, we're, we're not going to be together. Now, moving I, I, on. I'm pretty relaxed about the vaccination rollout, though. Here? Yeah, but why wouldn't you be, mate? I mean, this is, look, I'm I'm Australian born and bred, right? And unfortunately, unfortunately, I haven't lived there in 15 odd years. I come back every year before borders got closed, right? But if I was sat in Australia, I I, I couldn't give two shits. Like, I'd be all right with it. I'd be like, okay, give Papua New Guinea a million doses when and if. Uh, Give whoever, whatever. We'll sit there, we'll get... I mean, you know, I... I, Okay, I appreciate people may want to go overseas because like me but on the reverse like I've got family in Oz they may have family overseas and I want to come and see them whatever else fine I understand but on the whole mate just just chillax like who cares I'm very much of that of that same sort of opinion as well which is a, and it's a bit it's controversial and I'm sort of hesitant to say it but I'm sort of okay being the last because of because of the advantages that we do have here so that's that's how it goes now moving on um, it's a great week because I always love it when the fund manager survey does come out from Bank of America and I do like going through it because it does give you a little insight into what half a gajillion dollars worth of fund manager money is going or has gone and what their expectations are going to do. It's a good segue because, Ken, I'm going to throw back to you on, on the end of it, so get yourself set. Now, the fund manager survey, uh, which is interesting, so cash levels up from 3.8% to a very low 4%. And the 3.8% last month was their little trigger of saying maybe you should get out of the market, and that was actually proven quite well. Um, uh, allocation to commodities is at an all-time high. Investors, very long stocks, very short bonds. Uh, I'll get to that in a second. Next one. So uh, the Goldilocks. Uh, so uh, macro view, the crowded trades. Uh, long tech is still deemed the most crowded trade. Uh, then long Bitcoin, amazing, and long ESG. That's a whole different podcast on itself. Um, but the allocators cut tech to the lowest overweight level since January 09. So it's actually sort of coming back a touch for obvious reasons. Uh, in contrast, overweight in banks is the largest since March 2018 and energy um, overweight is the largest since November uh, 18 as well. Uh, investor sentiment is unambiguously bullish. COVID-19 is no longer the number one tail risk for the first time since February 2020, which we all know what was about to happen then. <laughs> now, uh, V-shaped recovery, blah, 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 bull bear indicator. So they're still bullish uh, Bullish indicator at 7.2. So they're still bullish, but the idea that they're so bullish that 
it's actually so bullish that maybe you should be a little bit bearish, which which is what happened last month, and I'm still with that. Now, after COVID-19, is no longer the number one tail risk. Um, now, what is the number one tail risk? Inflation. And can taper tantrums are now the biggest tail risks, uh, according to the fund manager survey. If I had a dollar every time I saw the word taper tantrum or tantrum thrown in there, then I'd probably have enough to make up for all the business that I lost this week while well, I was studying. Well, I, I, I just accidentally called it a tantrum about three shows back and um, Ken is still yelling at, it, at me from still sending me abusive well, messages. Well, is it, is it, okay. <laughs> I, I okay. want one of you to, to explain to me how it's fucking – how is this a tantrum? I'm not, uh, right, not going to argue with the fund managers. Like it's half a gajillion dollars of, of fund managers survey takeaways here and they think the taper tantrum is, is the biggest risk that's, that the market is facing. What is it? What is it then? I'm actually asking. Like, what's, uh, the big, what, what's, what's, what's the biggest risk, risk facing the market? No, what, 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 what's the what is the bond what is the bond sell off all about if it is not some sort of a tantrum with regards to potentially? I mean, I I don't think it's a tantrum. I mean, we, we had the Fed last night. Let, let's let's look at it this way: the bond market is uh, is led essentially, at least in this iteration, in the last let's call it two months, led predominantly by the U.S. curve, right? And the U.S. government curve. Fine. Um, if we take that as a given, then we have to explore the fact that last night we had the Fed meeting and we had Jay Powell out giving a press conference and whatever else. My, uh, and I tweeted this actually as we spoke, going into the meeting or prior to this meeting, my, my thoughts at least on the belly on the ten, US 10-year uh, was that were such that I thought we'd see 150, we saw 150. I thought we'd overshoot 150, we overshot 150. But I genuinely believe that give or take around the 160 mark, you know, a couple of basis points either side, we would probably top out. That's a 1.6% 10-year yield on the US Treasury. I thought we would top out there and buying would once again resume, not not in a huge pace, but it would resume and we'd sort of settle into a... Uh, I don't know, 135, 140 by 155, 160 range and, you know, continue to suck it and see and see what happened in the rest of the world. That was going into the meeting. Last night, within the first couple of minutes of him starting the Q&A session, not even the prepared remarks, but the Q&A session, I don't know what twitched in me, but something did. And essentially I've changed my mind and I changed it there and then to say that uh, I think... Uh, the ten-year goes close enough to two percent, and relatively soon. Now, if the, if we presume that is to be the case, then the rest of the market's going to follow suit, and we're going to see a continuation. Why do I think it goes to two percent or close? Because they've made it abundantly clear, the Fed, that they maintain their line in the sand. The dot plot hasn't changed. They say that they're not going to raise rates before 2023. Uh, they say that inflation is not a problem for them in that they they want to see proof of heat, overheat, whatever, rather than a forecast dot uh, intimating that there is overheating, etc., etc. Frankly, uh, we need to look at it from the other side of, of the coin, I think, and that is, forget inflation for the moment, inflation stems on the back of growth so the market perceives that there's growth that everything's going swimmingly etc etc and following that there will be inflation etc so the market is thinking well why why shouldn't the us 10-year be at two percent or close why so in in some regard they're testing the fed's resolve in some regard they're just walking down the red carpet that the fed's laying out which is 
they're prepared to see physical, actual, sustainable prints of inflation nearing 2%, going beyond 2%, etc., etc., to fulfill their mandate of average inflation targeting, right? So, as far as I'm concerned, yeah, I think the US 10-year keeps going, right? I think there is going to be a steepening. I Do I think it's... Uh, ill-advised or or rather do I think it's not legitimately there it doesn't matter I mean this goes back to the lobotomy paradigm the Fed's given carte blanche for the market to test its resolve the market doesn't need two invitations to do so it will it will go and get it done we've seen the 10-year back up just since last night another 10 or 12 basis points since since he opened his mouth um so that that's the way I see it. I mean, I, I, I think, yeah, I think we keep going. Um, but in that, I think a lot of people are going to get smoked as well because I think uh, there won't necessarily be huge equity sell-offs. I think there'll be adjustments in the spoos. But more to the point, I think, I think where people are going to get smoked is in the US dollar. Um, I think people have spent a lot of time forgetting what the dollar smile or the theory of the dollar smile is about. They're about to learn yeah, I, I want to hear this because it came up in the Kit Jukes episode. Um, there's yeah, a few references to dollar smiles in let's, there. Let's go back over that because, yeah, we, we, uh, yeah long, long dollars sort of getting a little bit smoked, especially for the Australian investor over there too. So uh, go, hit the smile. Uh, well, the smile intimates that at least the back end of the smile is that when uh, there's a global recovery and things are going swimmingly and yields are going higher, so the US, et cetera, et cetera, you want to be buying dollars because the US is going to lead the recovery, be it global or local. And why would you not want to be long of dollars when, when things look absolutely rosy? Uh, the converse of that is going into, you know, when, when rates are getting, I suppose, the, the, the front end of the smile, you know, when it's approaching the frown, as it were, uh, you want to be short of dollars because the world's potentially going into, you know, uh, a terrible state of things. They're going to cut rates. You want to be an EM and you want to swap your dollars out. But the reality of it is we've seen that. That's happened. They cut rates dramatically. The dollar came off, etc., etc. I think we've plateaued, and if and and you know the, the the bottom end of this frown, if you will, and if you are to believe that rates, uh, govies or yields on the ten-year and, and subsequent do go higher, then you also believe that the U.S. is going to be gang going gangbusters. You also believe in the theory of, at, at least now for now, American exceptionalism, and you want to be along with dollars because. Do you not want to uh, receive, I don't know, 180 or 2% on a 10-year? Do you not want to own U.S. equities, et cetera, et cetera? Right? That, is, that is where it starts to kick in as well. So there's, there's two things off that. So, again, back on the fund manager survey there, that the, the, the Q&A side of it, uh, question, what 10-year Treasury yield causes an over 10% equity correction? And the answer to that was 2%. That's not too much. Uh, and what yield on the 10-year Treasury makes bonds attractive relative to stocks? And that's 2.5%. And that's, that's the big kicker. Well, I've, I've, got a, yeah, I've got a question for you actually on that. What's, um, what's the dividend yield on the spoos? You own the index. What's, what's the dividend yield if you own, if you own the spoos? Off the top of my head, I wouldn't know. I know locally. If we're going to say, uh, let's not do spoos. Let's do the local. Let's do the local thing as well. What so it was about 3.8% uh, or something like that. Let's just say 4 on a on a good day is the dividend yield on on the ASX? Yeah, on the two hundred here, on the more or less yeah. on a good day that it's okay, and in, in America it'd be a touch lower than that um, that they're doing too, as they, as a, as the banks would be able to you know charge in and, and chuck dividends on now as well. That that point, then all of a sudden, I know that emerging markets, and this comes into my emerging markets trade as well. That that 
as that, I'm, I'm, I'm bullish the US dollar on that recovery trade as well. And I'm following, I'm happy to say that the, the coattails of Morgan Stanley on this one is, is, is really obvious and easy to me that the US leads the recovery out of this. The US dollar will lead the recovery also out of this, which means that you don't want to be in emerging markets, um, specifically that emerging market index in there as well. Because A, if, even if you just want the safe yield on it, then that that 10-year treasury does become safer than being in emerging markets and also because the emerging market index is made up of all these Chinese companies and those are, those are growth high lofty over 20 times forward earning tech stocks that I don't really want to hold in this particular environment. And so that's why I think that emerging markets does come off. So it's, 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 and it's potentially also with the US dollar rising, you don't want to hold commodities either. So there's not a lot of interest, yeah. annoyingly, there's not a lot of interest in actual emerging markets for me um, right now. The emerging market growth story that the economies do grow and that they buy Nintendo and that they buy soy sauce and that they buy all of those things is great. But the actual emerging market index, I think I actually think that it's a, it's a good short at the moment. Let me just, let me just point out one thing. Um, as we've been talking, I just had a quick look at the um, US 10-year yield uh, and it's taken another little jump and it's at 1.72. How about that? Yeah. Look, I, I think, I think what, what needs to be – there needs to be caveats, I think, to when we talk about growth. And I think we need to acknowledge the fact that uh, growth or recovery from from the circumstances we found ourselves in the last 12, 15 months is going to be uh, decidedly idiosyncratic. Um, I think what we discussed uh, regarding Australia at the very top of the show is evidence of that. I think the notion of American exceptionalism and, and, and the idea that the US is going to go gangbusters and, and, and whatever else versus Europe that might be in a, in a I don't know, second speed. I'm not so sure. I think, I think what, we're, what we're going to experience in the US or are experiencing is not dissimilar to what we discussed about Australia, which is that first initial rebound is going to be strong, but then potentially dissipates. I think Europe catches up in the scheme of things. But given the nature globally of vaccine rollouts, distribution, this, that and the other, reopenings, stuttering back and forth. I think we need to be really careful about uh, how we delineate growth and recovery and how we understand it to be, be it on a local or global scale. Uh, so I'm not bearish. I'm just, I'm just very conscious of the fact that the nature of the market and how people invest and trade and has changed dramatically in the last three or four years and more so in the last 18 to 24 months, which means that there are no real patterns. Like things don't last. Hot money goes in, hot money goes out, and that stuff happens very, very quickly and turns on a dime, and that's been helped along by the financialization of a lot of stuff, so the, the, the rise of ETFs and, and the various indices that come along. So I think themes are very short-lived these days, and I think you need to be very careful and very quick about what you're in and out of and, and why you're in and out of those things. For sure. So I, anyway, that, that's, no, no, that's and, where I'm at. And, and you're right. And I'd be, I'd be very hesitant to be in a crowded trade at the moment because of how quickly it snaps. Back. Yeah, but, but everything, everything's crowded within minutes and then it's equally uncrowded after everyone's got singed in that burning theatre five minutes later. That, that's my point. That stuff, like it's just, it's, it's awfully difficult these days and, and it, it, yeah, you... you like everything's crowded within an instant and then it's uncrowded equally so, you know, five minutes later. So look, but, I'm segueing. Yes. Yeah, but long ESG, that right. is an interesting credit, credit trade to Yeah. Um, you know, um, people are like, uh, 
But it's, what's the theory here on how, how you know that long ESG is a crowded trade? You know, uh, too many people are buying good companies. Um, well, well, or, but, but what is it? But what is a good company? Like I said, like I said, on paper. Uh, yeah, like, uh, like, uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very skeptical yeah, about how how you get your ESG rating. Yeah. You know, you go and you know. Um, it is. It is. It is true that. Do, that do, do either do either of you two remember what the triple bottom line was when it came out? When when, when it was a, only a theory, or are you both too young? Uh, they had a hit in 1987 with yeah, exactly. Baby, I yeah. Want Your Groove. So the, 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 trip, the triple bottom line is the very first iteration. Yeah, 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 sorry. Yeah, it's, it's a very first iteration. Well, Google there, Colga. Uh, very first iteration of, uh, of what is now ESG. It was a fad and a marketing methodology then, and I firmly believe ESG is similar now, except the world's very different. We're all... Soy latte sipping decaf triple twist lime nonsense, and it's just a great way to raise extra AUM. That is, so, that is, yeah, yeah, it is a point. podcast all of itself. It is, it is. I think there's a couple of good things uh, about it, though. I do think that, like BlackRock, uh, Larry Fink has led the charge on this, basically saying, like, we're going to start asking companies, what are you doing to show that you're responsible? Uh, and I think it will that's just happen. Good. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's yeah. good. Um, I agree. Right, just basically money. Push, you know, using money to can push you, push companies around. Yeah, can you can you be better? No, and, green, greenwashing everything, mate. Well, the, I think I think I think the companies will naturally through the process. I've done a lot of work recently on ESG stuff. The the companies will naturally be changed through the activism and through the the, the idea that regular investors actually are asking that question, especially in a bull market when you don't really you know you, you don't need to agree the details. But the stats behind the fact that the higher the green rating actually was showing that the less tax those companies were paying mm-hmm. and the less people that they were employing. <laughs> and so it was it was those beautiful things of just like, these are the beautiful, these are the greenest of green companies, but they're paying less tax and they're employing less people. Mm. And you're okay with that. And it's it's sort of those questions. But it is it is a podcast all of itself. Yeah, if we it do is, that, if we do that, we don't. Now let's talk about another crowded trade because this, this was the segue. Go ahead. Um, buy now, pay later. Uh-huh. A bit hot, uh, you know, a bit hot. And this is it's one of those a bit, things. A bit hot, yeah. A bit hot. Now, uh, it's where, one of those in Australia where, or globally? It's been like the afterpay's like gone from like 10 bucks. Globally now, so uh, hundred and what a hit, hundred and fifty at one point. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, that that that, that, that that's amazing to me as well. Now, Colgo, I think that you're our SME on this particular side of things. So, um, <laughs> yeah. there was a little bit of hot stuff that was out of the out of the FinRev. I think it was Tony Boy Chanticleer said some stuff in the BNPL space. Yes, and I know that, and it was based on some of our research. Yeah, now so, you get to. Talk. I can talk about it. Yeah, hit me. So, for those who don't know, uh, CT Group is a research uh, strategy and campaigns advisory firm. Uh, so we um, consult largely to um, corporates, and uh, we do a lot of um, uh, public opinion polling on various issues. Uh, and sometimes we just uh, ask questions um, uh, on matters that we think are important and, and uh, topical uh, and we think we try to measure things that um, people haven't um, tried to measure before or understand. Uh, of course, what we do with that research then is we use it to try and uh, develop strategy and uh, advise our clients, right? But this was something that we specifically did um, in a survey in January about uh, BNPL. So we asked a whole bunch of, of non-BNPL questions in this survey. It was about a whole bunch of different topics, so it wasn't a specific survey on BNPL, just, just to clarify that. But we asked um, a, a few things, um, uh, whether people um, uh, thought that BNPL services had uh, led them to increase their debt to an uncomfortable level, 
and one in three BNPL users say yes. Now, they're the ones who admit it, right? Um, so, so, but maybe take it on face value. Um, you know, there's millions of people using these products now in Australia. Uh, they're growing in, um, in the US market too. Um, so, you know, and a third of users are saying that um, they've gotten into a bit of a sticky situation because they're able to buy things when they don't have the cash. Mm. Um, the other, uh, a couple of other findings from it, um, one was the early super release scheme, which was we asked people, you know, did you um, avail of the early super release scheme t- to access $10,000 of your retirement savings, and you were able to do it twice. Um, but uh, basically people who use BNPL, BNPL services are multiple times more likely to have also accessed their super, mm. right? So stack that up with um, I got into a little bit too much debt. I also ac- accessed my super. And then there's this other part where we ask people, did they feel like they spent more or saved more during – the COVID crisis of 2020. Yep. Of course, uh, interesting question because the global savings rate has exploded. Yep. Uh, in Australia, the household savings rate hit 20-something percent, like absolutely yeah. In wild. the States, it's 20.5%, yeah. 7% before, in, in, uh, before COVID. Yeah, yeah, enormous, enormous numbers. The, the charts are uh, eye-watering, right? Um, so, um, but really interestingly... Um, People who use BNPL services overwhelmingly say twice as likely to say they spent more than they saved last year. So all of this stacks up to a very simple bit of evidence to show that people who use BNPL services are probably not that great with money. Um, you know, people who just don't really manage budgets, uh, you know. Yeah, there's, correlation, there's correlation causation questions that, that, that's in there with regards to did you use it because you are bad or you had no money or, mm. or, or, or are you using it and because that and has that now put you into a situation that is a bit sticky because you are now in that sort of situation as well? But, exactly. Like, so is and it, there's COVID too. Yeah, yeah. Look, and, and there's lots of ways that you can get yourself into financial strife, okay? So BNPL uh, is definitely not Robinson Crusoe in, in um, you know, being a, a route to – uh, getting yourself into, you know, you can just spend the money you have or spend money you don't have in, in lots of other ways. Um, but um, but definitely uh, it, it does appear that these um, products do help people to, um, to buy things they can't afford, right? So we also asked if, um, do, does BNPL uh, lead to people buying things they can't afford? Um, Total agreement with that statement is 75%. What? Um, Oh, no. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's even high amongst uh, people who use the BNPL services, right? Um, And then we also asked, do you think um, these are a good or a bad uh, service to society? And it was an interesting split there. Um, If you are a BNPL user, uh, you're vastly more likely to say that they're a good service. Yep. Whereas if you're not, you do not like them uh, very, very much at all. So a yeah, majority... That's, that's the user bias okay. that's in there. Yeah, majority yeah. of non-users say, it, say it's bad. So um, I, I'll yeah. just finish, but what it, what it means is uh, th- these things have had an amazing ride in terms of 
um, their marketing, their brand positioning, their brand growth, customer growth, etc. Um, and uh, it's clear that people have pretty mixed views on them uh, as corporate actors, if you like. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm uh, not not at all surprised by the proliferation of these things, I suppose, in, in the sense that, so I, as I said, I haven't lived in Oz in 15 odd years, but I do come back annually when it's possible. Um, and probably about, mm, I want to say three, if not four years ago, but let's say three, I noticed uh, on, on my annual trip back uh, just a ton, a ton, out of nowhere seemingly, a ton of payday lender ads on TV, on bus shelters, on, on the sides of buses, on billboards, you name it, right? So, and and that's when things were great. Like COVID wasn't even a thing and, and the economy was seemingly doing well, everyone was employed. But payday lenders were were just up and coming huge, like hugely, as, as Trump would say, right? Um, so this, as an extension of that theme, is not a huge shock. So it's, it's almost like the... The, the whitewashed, legitimised version of a payday lender, this, this buy now, pay later situation. And going a little bit social scientist on this, I think, I, again, not hugely surprising because everyone in Australia seems to want to live out of their skins. They, they just want to push beyond their means, etc., etc. So if it's not by pay, payday lender, they want to fuel that Instagram lifestyle by owning... That the newest pair of sunglasses, I don't know what the hell they buy on these things, right? But they want to feel good about themselves. They want to keep up with the Joneses and the like. So the proliferation of these, of, of these services and these companies that provide them, not a huge shock. What should be of concern is where's APRA in all of this? What, what, what's APRA done? I mean, seriously? Certain, certain, um, areas, of, certain areas of certain lending uh, come below that number. So small amounts actually don't get covered. Uh, covered in that because it's not it's 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 not really in there. It's that two hundred three hundred dollars sort of area, and it, and it doesn't mm. come in there. The, the the big end of stuff actually really does start to kick in, and maybe there should be some stuff that's in uh, in the lending stuff that, that, that maybe you yeah, there should be some tightening that's on that. I think that there's starting to be a call for the for the big end for those good established players to uh, maybe just start to get tightened up a touch on those on those bits. But that's well, that's me being very diplomatic. On you that know, really interestingly, CBA this week. Uh, has um, so there's been quite a lot of developments in this sector this week. CBA has announced uh, it's going to do its own um, payment option. So yep. you spread it over four payments with a merchant, um, but only with existing merchant fees, right? So currently, merchants for those who aren't aware, Afterpay takes a four percent clip from the merchant. Um, so if you know if your shirt is a hundred dollars and you're spreading it over. Um, they take four bucks. Yep. Right. Um, so the retailer sells it for ninety six. Um, so um, so so, but C- CBA is just going to do the merchant fee rather than that, uh, the merchant processing fee rather than the uh, the four percent. Mm, okay. Okay. Um, so uh, that is obviously a big development. The other thing I was reading today, and I was very surprised. Um, BNPL apparently has some basic banking um, or afterpay. Afterpay, Afterpay, the grand poobah yes. of, of these companies has um, some banking services uh, products in the works. Yeah. So the banks are becoming BNPL companies and the BNPL companies are thinking and about it, becoming banks. In the States. It is going to be super, super interesting. These, these companies have been on a just an enormous tear uh, in terms of revenue. I... Um, 
think there's a lot of questions to be asked around. Um, there are. It is. It is. It is. It is a. It is a moving space. There's no set thing, and anyone who's my summation of, of this whole industry. Forget individual names, but obviously, obviously, Afterpay is going to lead the lead the thing. Uh, my summation is: it's all fun and games until somebody loses an eye, and this market is going to lose one hell of an eye sooner rather than later. There's going to be a blow up. Um, it's just got that feel about it. Like I mean, we've we've seen it happen before. No reason it shan't, it can't happen here and won't. Well. I, I, I will go back and say as well, as just as we wind up, that uh, we solved a global health crisis with a financial crisis solution, uh, or solved, but anyway, that's how we did it. Now that has set the scene for every single other situation and disaster that comes for the rest of our lives potentially. That is, that, that's sort of my little thesis about the way that things will work from now, is that, oh, there's been a blow-up in this. Uh, if, if you get another another LTCM sort of crop up. If you get another, you know, another fraud or another Ponzi or another thing or something like that, it's going to be like a, okay, we now need to fix it by lowering interest rates and just bailing people well, out. Well, but it also means that the countries that are going to survive in that world are the ones that manage public finances properly. Correct. Um, so you can't be, um, like, we, uh, you can't be spendthrift and kind of think that you can throw, it, that it's so easy to throw money at problems now because when the crises do hit, I mean, that's one of the reasons that we were able to deal with this is it was an easy decision to run up the debt because we didn't have any, right? Yeah. Um, now? So what if, yeah, if something like this, again, you know, that's, that's a much bigger question. Well, this is my question. Um, this is my thing about Europe that, that remember, I keep on having to remind, remind people this, that 2020 was supposed to be the year that we were all getting out of the, of the financial crisis, specifically Europe with everything that they had. That was, that was it. Like I said, and I reiterate, if I'd bought, I bought a Russian ETF – just before I started hearing about the virus. That's how bullish I was on the recovery trade. I was long rubles. I was long oil. I was long – I was long. that is the most longest emerging markets I could possibly be. And then everything happened. So th- that, that was me saying that we are now ready to recover and then we didn't. They didn't have the money to be able to fund their way out of this and that's why potentially that Europe um, – Yeah, I'm, I'm going to let you boys in on a dirty little secret that, you know, most people are probably vividly aware of. Debt doesn't matter. It's a game of relativity. Debt does not matter on a sovereign level, right? Where are even the worst EMs raising money these days along the curve? Debt does not matter, lads. So uh, don't worry about it. It, it gen- like, and I'm not, I'm not being facetious here. It does, it, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter personally, and it doesn't matter fiscally. Doesn't matter government. No, personally, it fucking matters because you're going to get held to account. Governments aren't going to get held to account. Yeah. They're always going to find lenders. Right? That's it. Should we close it up there? What do you reckon, Ken? You got anything else? Did I have anything to start with? I've just spent forty minutes talking out of my backside, mate. Last, so no. Last drink. Colgo, you got anything? Well, well, look, I was about to start into a thing about how if debt doesn't matter, well, then taxes really do, right? Um, because if it's okay to run up all the debt. Right, you need to um, ensure that um, taxation means something, um, because that's how we all pay our bills back to the state. Right? Yeah. Um, so, so taxes have to be meaningful, right? Um, because if debt didn't mm. matter, then we all have, the, then we'd all pay no tax, right? So, so if debt really yeah, didn't matter, then um, we don't pay no tax. No. Are you starting a new podcast yeah, well, can, on me? Is that what you're doing? I'm you, 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 can, you, you, can, you, can, you can lobby your local member to uh, build you a better road with your taxes, mate. I mean, you know, go, you, if you want that, you probably want the Scandi model, where at least you can actually see, you used to be able to see, where your tax dollars went 
Um, you don't see it in Australia, or at least not in my time there. You don't see it in many other countries, but that's that's a different conversation. And, yeah. Now, uh, yeah. winding it up, Cargo, was that actually, you know, anything good? Um, yeah, yeah, no, I actually have a, a little um, uh, Dutch story um, to share with you, Ken. Um, a what story? A Dutch story. Um, Does it involve dykes and little go. boys? Yeah, Th- these are not euphemisms. There are a lot of dykes as in physical and go. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. So it's um, uh, a guy I know called Aaron Vandenberg, right, who was my opposite number in, in the Netherlands when I was running Business Insider. He ran um, Business Insider uh, Amsterdam. With that name and he was Dutch? Yeah, Aaron oh, Vandenberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely lovely guy. And he started a pickle business. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm invested yeah. in this story. Yeah, and they're called they're called um, their 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 media is awesome. And maybe it's just it doesn't sound quite as funny to a, a native Dutch speaker, but it's awesome for. Are they our new sponsor? Mm, well, no, <laughs> yeah, pickle pickles. It's right, pickle pickles. Pickle, right? So yeah. it's called <laughs> pickle pickles. Um, and they had some media release that I saw yesterday, and it was the the title of it or, or on it was like Bickle Pickles are in the Mickle, okay. <laughs> or something. But they've raised tens of thousands of dollars, like hundred grand or something, crowdfunding. Um, and they've got these sensational looking pickles that they're going to start. You know, well they're already selling. All right, um, we'll put a link. Yeah. We'll put a link on the website there. The footy starting Colgo. Let's wrap it up. The uh, are we good? Don't forget to subscribe to the show. Rate us and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on iTunes at The Bip Show. We are on Twitter for some reason, don't know why, at uh, the underscore Bip underscore show. And we're on Facebook too. Just search The Bip Show and you're getting all of your pickle needs uh, wherever you need your pickles. Uh, we've got you covered. Individually on Twitter, uh, again for some reason, at Colgo, at James Whelan42. And at Ken Vexler, Ken Vexler, who will tell you what he thinks of you if you ask him really nicely. <laughs> uh, that is uh, that is it. Don't forget to hit subscribe and rate the show. We love to see those five star ratings. Actually, go and actually rate five stars, guys. Yeah, it's not it, hard. It makes a difference. It matters. Yeah. Please do that for me. Just that. I'll buy you a beer. Lie through your teeth. Rate us at five. That's I mean, all you got to do. Awesome. Just like buying this market. <laughs> the show is produced by Eamon, <laughs> Eamon Connolly and Rick Salter. And we will catch you next time. Thank you for listening. Thank you.